Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit we may always be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Today I have Dr. Damon Cudahy with Acadiana OBGYN. This is part two of our doctor series with the Catholic OBGYNs. And uh, welcome to the show, Doc. Thank you very much. It's a it's a real honor and, and joy to be on, on your show, Todd. I sat in the studio with Adam Conk on his show a few times, but it's been several years, so it's great to be back here. Well, it's just a blessing to have you. And our co-host today will be Dr. Johnny Voltz. He is the newest member of Acadiana OBGYN. Welcome to the show. Hello again all right okay doc so i mean let's go back and uh, i want to go with you get get back a little bit and tell us from the beginning a little bit about your life who you are where you're from sure so i grew up in uh, marietta georgia north of atlanta and i went to college at florida state university where i where i met my wonderful wife and we were both involved in a very active campus ministry very similar to the raging cajun catholics and i really became uh, i think an adult in my faith i, I really grew in, and learned my faith as if for the first time during that time um, in college I uh, went on to medical school at the University of Florida. I had an Army scholarship, so I was commissioned into the Army um, and started my OBGYN training at a military program in San Antonio. Before I finished my residency, I spent a tour in Iraq, um, and then I finished my residency after separating from the Army, completing my service obligation at a Catholic hospital up in Buffalo, New York. After that, I um, worked at a practice at a Catholic hospital for four years in Pennsylvania. And during that time, my wife and I really discerned we needed to get back um, down to the south. And her parents are from the Pensacola area, Milton to be more precise. And so we started doing a search and turned out that the place we found that was closest to home for us was right here in Lafayette. And Dr. Kim Hardy was looking for a partner. He'd been looking for 20 years. And, and so, you know, I think that it was definitely an act of providence. I didn't know much at all about Lafayette at the time. And I can tell you that very soon after moving here, I discovered that this was the best place. If I had searched the nation, the worldwide, I don't think I could have found a better place uh-huh. to move my family to. Well, uh, being a representative of the Cajun Catholic Nation, we are very fortunate and blessed to have you, and uh, welcome home, Thank I would you. say. Thank so you. I went fishing Friday with some buddies, and I was telling them I was having you guys on, and I read a little bit your resume, and I was like, this dude's a superstar, man. This guy's like been all <laughs> over the place. I'm like, who's coming on? I said, oh, this guy's like been everywhere. But really impressive, mm-hmm. and you've done a lot, and you're a young man. How old are you? Um, well, I'll be 45 the end of the week here. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Johnny, how old are you? I'm 34. All right. So these guys, they got it going on. They're young. They're young. I'm 56. So, man, are you young? But uh, tell me a little bit about the military. I'm curious. I saw sure. the military, and I know you're a captain. And, right. and do they call you Captain Doctor? How does that work? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And when I was active duty, particularly when I was in Iraq, um, Though I was an 03 a captain, it depended on the scenario. When I was taking care of a patient, a soldier that was injured and, and suffering in need of a care, 
I think it was more important for him to know me as a doctor at that mm-hmm. point. So I wouldn't introduce myself as captain. I would, you know, say I'm Dr. Kodahi because there's lots of captain. His commanding officer might have been a captain, but his commanding officer was a doctor. He needed a doctor. But when it was more of a formal military, you know, setting, you know, unrelated to my role as a physician, then I would be captain. So it, it was kind of those two different hats and depending on the scenario. And so I think that's in my life today, you know, with my patients, I'm doctor. They need to know I'm a doctor. And even, um, uh, but when it's with friends, even if the friends are my patient, I, take, I think it takes them a little while to get used to calling me by my first name, Damon, but I, I'm totally fine with that outside mm-hmm. of the, the medical setting. I think that that's, you know, even better. Tell me about while you were there, like, can you get to the Eucharist? Did you have mass? It was, it was a tough thing. I, I it was the, the most, um, challenging time in my life in terms of not having the sacraments available um, on a regular basis. It's something that I realized how much I took for granted, you know, living in the United States. There would be times that I may go months without, you know, access to the sacraments. And this one base I was at, you know, we were lucky if we had a priest that was able to fly out once a month. And, and it would be just a random day of the week. It might be mm-hmm. in a Tuesday. And so he would say the last Sunday or the coming Sunday mass for us. And he would have confessions before mass. And then if there was a bad storm, the, the helicopters couldn't fly in that night when he was scheduled to, then it would be another month. And at one point there had been a, you know, a little while. And, and I just really felt compelled to make an effort to find the sacraments and mm-hmm. to go to confession and to go to mass. And it took a whole day of um, basically helicopter hopping, catching, you know, flights across the country to make it to Baghdad to the main, um, uh, the base, um, uh, where they had, where I knew there was a, a scheduled mass mm-hmm. and, and, the sac- and the confession I could go to. And so it, it took a whole day and a lot of work to make it to mass. I'm going to let point. Dr. Volt jump in. I know he's got all kind of good yeah. questions to ask you. What years were you in our rank? It was from 2007 to 2008. So okay. it was basically August of 2007. No, no, I take that back. August of 2006 until uh, September of 2008. Gotcha. And I remember you telling me you put in some chest tubes and took care oh, of all sorts of yeah, trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it was definitely... They get all excited about this, by the way. <laughs> you know, chest tubes. Woo! Well, right, yeah, so. we're, we're not normally operating too much above the umbilicus. So. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I had, um, you know, I had finished about two and a half years of an OBGYN residency. And, and so I was much more familiar with delivering babies and assisting with hysterectomies and things like that. I'd never taken care of and certainly not been primarily responsible someone with a gunshot wound and or shrapnel wounds and so in a a very short time you know i was taking care of levels of trauma that would rival that of an inner city you know level whatever one trauma center trauma center but and i was i was the guy um, that was responsible and so when someone started desaturating and needed a chest tube it didn't matter if i you know how many i had done if i didn't do it the patient was gonna (laughs) die i had to figure it out and um, and it was really being thrown into the fire in a, in a sense. I mean, we had had some training with an animal lab right before going, but you know, and it would have been great if I had a senior resident or an attending looking over my shoulder telling me what to do. But you didn't have that. I didn't have that. <laughs> I I knew what would happen if I didn't do it. The patient would die, and I had to figure it out. And there's something about those types of intense situations that really focus the mind. And, um, and call on the Holy Spirit a little bit. Oh, I sure did. Yeah. I sure did. And I was, you know, definitely relying very much on on our, our Lord to help me. But there was sometimes, you know, there would be the death I could see the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the night before, one time, one of the first times I had to do this, I just happened to pick up a general surgery trauma textbook, and I happened to read the right chapter. 
on how to place a chest tube. And the next night, there was a mass cal event with a, where several people were brought in and that had been injured. And, and I had to place wow. a chest tube for the first time where the patient's life depended on it. And by the grace of God, I was able to save save it. This is yeah. beautiful. So when you go over there, what do you bring with you? I mean, you bring a Bible, or uh, how does that work? Yeah, I, I brought a Bible. I brought a lot more books than I ever read. And sending a Bible back, I realized I didn't have. A, I thought I'd, I'd be going to the desert and I could read a lot, but it turns out I was pretty busy. But I, I did. I did really fall in love with a, a pattern of um, reading um, the Divine Office and, and and trying to enter into the church's regular prayer, morning prayer, evening prayer. And so even though I wasn't able to participate in the liturgy, you know, with the Eucharist and Mass, I was still trying to join the church and and praying um, the divine office. All right, we could spend the whole show on that, because I'm super interested, (laughs) and Dr. Johnny, I think, is super interested, too, but but we're going to shift gears a little. Sure. So tell me about the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, San Antonio, how it compares to, I guess, maybe here in Lafayette. Well, what I, one of the reasons I've fallen in love so much was just that nowhere else I've lived is there quite a strong a Catholic identity and the culture and the demographics. I, I really believe this is the most most Catholic area in the world, certainly in the nation. So San Antonio had a great Catholic community in the mm-hmm. time I was there, and a lot of it has to do with the Mexican, you know, history and Hispanic, you know, very strong Catholic culture there. But I found, and then in Pennsylvania, it was um, not quite as heavily Catholic. There was a, a large um, Protestant population as well, similar in that regard to my growing up in Georgia, very much Southern Bible Belt Protestant, um, where the Catholics were the minority. But um, there, there was a good Catholic uh, history in Pennsylvania. It was Holy Spirit Hospital there. It was founded by a religious order of sisters. And, and so that hospital actually practiced as a Catholic hospital. We didn't do steril, no one did sterilizations at that hospital. So it was mm-hmm. one of the few hospitals in the country that had kind of preserved that Catholic identity. So that was an ideal place to start my training in that environment after finishing residency. So tell me about your impressions of Lafayette and then reality when you got here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, it's amazing how little I knew. Um, you know, I, if someone had asked me what the Cajun culture entailed, I would have, you know, thought something has something to do with spicy food. <laughs> but what I le- came to learn is that it's really the heart of the Cajun culture is the Catholic faith. And I had um, reading um, a biography of John Paul II, I learned that about the Polish culture, whether it's the, the food and the music and the literature and that and Poland, you know, the Polish people having suffered so much for centuries with, you know, persecution from the east and the west, that I think it's the suffering of the Catholic Cajuns being exiled first from France and then from the Nova Scotia Canadian area and finally settling here. What they kept and preserved, what held them together, the culture. Um, even preceding the time of coming here was the Catholic faith. And I, I think that even geographically, you know, a friend of mine had shared me how before the interstate system was really developed, this place was somewhat isolated from the rest of the country. So um, I really believe that there's a unique kind of culture here in Acadiana that doesn't exist anywhere else in the country. Wow, you did your homework. And so different perspective, Johnny, from Alexandria to Lafayette, different than, than what you knew of Lafayette? Oh, it's uh, yeah. I, I'd certainly come down to Lafayette, you know, having cousins down here and and visiting, and and we've only been here a month, so. Oh, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that. Yeah. So you have time to leave. Then. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I will say this. Um, you know, I can't claim you know to be a Cajun, at least not by birth, but I, I really hope 
to, to I like to think of myself as a Cajun by adoption, and our absolutely our, our youngest three children were born here. So I like to think mm. that there's at least three you know Cajun born Cudahy's. They're naturalized <laughs> citizens. There you go. Exactly. Yes, they are. All right, that's awesome. So um, I want to remind our listeners you're listening to Cajun Catholics, and today's guest is just a real blessing to have Dr. Damon Cudahy. Uh, he is a, a Catholic OBGYN or the Cadiana OBGYN, and, and his uh, cohort, Dr. Johnny Volz, is our co-host today. And these guys have something very special going. Dr. Kim Hardy was a previous guest on the show, and everybody knows Dr. Hardy here in Lafayette. He's a wonderful sure. man, and he's I, I see him in adoration quite mm. often. He's still super very devout. So uh, tell me for you, uh, what's your prayer life look like today, maybe versus how, how it used to be? Well, I think that today, you know, my, my prayer life is is one that is uh, more settled in a pattern, at least with our family. Uh, Dr. Volz had mentioned last week, um, you know, the, the, regu- the rosary, and that's something that my wife and I have tried to incorporate for our family life to, to pray the rosary regularly. And, you know, sometimes you know, early on we might get a decade out, but I think most nights we are able, able to complete five decades without time. Beautiful. Without too much of a meltdown with the little ones. <laughs> but. All right, so I'm I'm have a devotion to the rosary too, and I have a favorite mystery. Uh, you know, uh, mm. it's it's probably the uh, the the carrying of the cross. And okay. when I when I pray that, I always think about I don't know why, but like the coronavirus. I like God, mm. Lord, please let us get past this and all. But uh, do you have a favorite? I do, yeah. and, and I, I liked. Uh, um, I think it was also Saint Mother Teresa's favorite mystery. It's the, the second joyful mystery, the Visitation. And and to hear Mother Teresa describe it, it's when you know it was the first documented evidence that that a child in the womb can actually mm. hear a human voice. So at the the hearing of the Blessed Mother's salutation or greeting to. Uh, to her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist, you know, as a preborn child in the womb, leapt for joy at the presence of our Lord in the womb. So there's something profoundly, you know, inspirational about that moment. What a great answer. These guys, man, they're unbelievable. (laughs) No, that's so beautiful. That's true, you know, and I think about, we we talked a little about Roe versus Wade last week, and and, uh, and, uh, that's exactly the scripture that's come up when I hear EWTN and whatnot, but I want to get into it, because you and I had a little talk in my office about how it's not, it's a, you handle infertility, and that's a big part of your deal, so I want to lead you into that. Let's talk about it. Yes, yeah, and so a lot of people would think that what makes you know us really unique is that we're contraception free we don't believe in sterilizing women we see fertility as a gift but the other side of that coin is that we see fertility as a gift and one of the most powerful witnesses to this truth is the numerous times that i have patients of mine in my office in the you know or in the exam room when she and her husband are telling me their story of infertility of their of the years they had been hoping to conceive and and honestly i probably end up having to give patients tissues more i've had more you know uh, cr- situations where patients are crying in that environment than even miscarriages. Mm-hmm. There's a real mm-hmm. suffering. And so the suffering of the deprivation of this good of fertility is a powerful witness to the fact that this is what our faith teaches us, the greatest gift in marriage and actually the first you know, purpose, the primary purpose of you know, bringing new souls into existence, new citizens for heaven. So once we establish that and, and infertility, and there are a lot of women, the estimates are somewhere around 15%, it seems to be going up, sadly, of infertility. Now, what do you do about it? And that is the aspect of my practice that I didn't realize would be so important. And um, unfortunately, most of my colleagues in the profession do very little to actually look for and try to provide 
know, legitimate treatments for it. And, and what I'm referring to is just the explosion of the IVF industry. And I think that, you know, IVF as uh, an answer is a real disservice to women on so many levels. You can Google my name, Dr. Cudahy and IVF. I did a whole interview on that topic alone where I go into detail. I watched it and, <laughs> and I, I'm a dummy. So tell our audience again what IVF is. It stands for in vitro fertilization. Okay. And basically it's a, it's a situation where conception is intentionally occurring outside the womb. And, and I'll summarize, there's a litany of reasons why it is so evil and why I describe it as a sum of all evils in the medical profession. But the short you know, way to sum it up is that it's killing children to create children. And on mm-hmm. average, by the time one children survives the IVF process, 24 children have died, many of them intentionally, some of them unavoidably. But it is a real disservice. And, and I like to point out that about IVF, no woman needs IVF and no woman really desires it ultimately. I think a lot of women feel pressured into it because they have no other option. So mm-hmm. that's what I am striving to do. What they really want is to be made whole. They want to be restored. And so I believe very much in the principle of restorative reproductive medicine. We've got to put our detective caps on and find out why she can get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And two of the most common reasons that are vastly underappreciated and undertreated in the medical profession are endometriosis, which is primarily a surgical thing to correct, and PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is primarily a metabolic thing that doesn't need surgery. And there was medications and other interventions that can correct that. But those are two things that many many of us have not been trained, I mean, my other OBGYNs, and don't know how best to treat it. And so it's just, you know, the, the typical response is, well, we'll send you to the, quote, fertility specialist, which is really just the IVF you know, especially let you comment. No, I mean, that's similar to the, to the way that we're, we're trained is that, you know, we, we do an initial workup, do some labs. And if that's normal, send, send them to IVF. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, it's too, it's sort of a cop out. It's just sort of making it someone else's problem. And, and I think that it's, it's not easy because not everyone can be, have their fertility restored. And, and sometimes we have to have the difficult conversation. And, and this is an aspect you were asking uh, Dr. Waltz last week about the faith. And since many of our patients do share our faith, then I'll ask them, you know, and if that's something that is important, that they're to, important to them. Yeah. And, and then I, I ask them if they have ever considered whether or not God may be calling them to adopt. And, mm-hmm. And, and many of my patients, that may be the first time they've ever heard a doctor propose that as, as a way that God may be calling them to be open mm-hmm. to life. And, and I try to use the example of St. Joseph as the, the foster father of our Lord. And, and as, how it's, as most of us aren't Jews, so most of us are adopted children of God. We're not, you know, the, so the, the theology of adoption, both with St. Joseph and as us who are the Gentiles, you know, is very core in our faith, actually. All right, you guys walk me through, like, what they say a test tube baby would mm-hmm. be like taking an egg and a sperm outside and for is that okay is that not okay that's not okay absolutely not <laughs> okay. for so many reasons so so we understand that you know with 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 uh, marital intercourse with god's plan for the use of bodies with the <clears throat> conjugal act there's two essential components that it be both unitive the husband and wife come together and that it be procreative that we are open to the natural result of that act and so with contraception we're trying to destroy artificially and uh, and make that act you know intentionally sterile by an artificial means rather than just abstaining you know um, okay and then with IVF, we're actually sundering and we're, 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 we're um, destroying the, the unitive 
part of the act where you don't even have to have you know the man and woman in the same room because now you're making a medical procedure out of what god has intended to be you know a physical you know embrace okay you know, the all right i think i got it uh so tell me about i've heard i've seen in the news a lot of ectopic pregnancy sure. and, and them fighting over whether that's abortion tell, tell oh, me, great tell question me. so I, I think this is important you know i'm glad you asked that because there's a lot of um deception going on in the in the media right now so when, in terms of what Roe v. Wade said, Roe v. Wade had nothing to do with trying to allow doctors to do legitimate procedures to treat women in life-threatening conditions like ectopic pregnancy. It had nothing to do with our treating of um, miscarriages when the baby has died naturally. And so an ectopic pregnancy is, is a very tragic situation, um, fortunately rare, but it does happen sometimes. And I've treated numerous, many women with it over the thousands of patients I've treated in the years. But the... Um, uh, this is a situation typically where the baby is growing inside the fallopian tube and um, unfortunately the baby can't survive to term in that environment and and many times the tube can actually rupture and the woman can have hemorrhage and it could be and usually the, the baby's not going to survive in that moment anyway but then you're dealing with the mother's life being seriously endangered so the most the, the most secure and definite and clear way of treating this where there's no ethical questions about it at all that's not really debated would be a procedure called a salpingectomy where we remove that fallopian tube um, and that because that tube is damaged and this would be considered from an ethical standpoint an indirect this isn't a direct abortion this is the baby dies unavoidably but we've taken out a diseased tube and then the baby does die as a result of that surgery but it's the secondary effect to use another you know theological term okay. so <clears throat> and you guys do that kind of thing certainly right. and okay. i have many times i got you and and again a lot of the pro-choice uh, people have really tried to confuse that, right? And right. That, that's not, I don't know any, you know, doctors that have any moral qualms about doing it. We all do it. The church has never condemned this practice of removing a fallopian tube to treat ectopic mm -hmm. pregnancy. That's, there's no question. The, the, the laws in Louisiana, I've read very carefully, clearly spells out that there's no law against treating ectopic pregnancy surgically or even, you know, with medication called methotrexate. Um, so that, that has never been on the table. And so there's a lot of obfuscation and it really is dishonest to suggest that, you know, Roe v. Wade overturning, being overturned would not, would prevent women from being treated for ectopic pregnancy. That, All right, another, yeah. another silly, crazy question, I guess, but, but, but we talked about this in my office, but would that situation be where the baby would have a heartbeat in that, in that situation? Some Sometimes, yes. Now, many times the baby, interestingly, has already died. It's, many times it's like a, it's an early miscarriage where you're dealing with placental tissue by itself that's still growing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the, the baby actually still has a heartbeat. There's at least one occasion I can recall where I did this surgery in the operating room and I was holding the baby in my hand after we had taken mm. the tube out and I was able to baptize the baby. And wow. I, and the, the parents had asked if I would, you know, before. That's amazing. And so in the operating room and it's, you know, and a lay person can do it in an emergency like that. That's a God moment. It certainly was. Wow. Amen. I'm blown away there. Okay. That's good stuff. That was laparoscopic? No, no, it was open. Uh, open. Yeah. It was a, a corneal ectopic. Gotcha. So. All right. Y'all talk some of that. Doctor. <laughs> 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 
I know you have so, questions for him, Johnny. Get, yeah. get some, he, he, this is a doctor. This is yeah. And any other uh, good baptism stories that you have? Yeah. So um, I mentioned that you know uh, an emergency is a layperson can baptize. So I've, I've baptized several children, and the more typical situation is a preterm delivery. Mm-hmm, right. So the baby might be 20, 22 weeks. Clearly, at a stage when we know the baby's not going to lo- live long after birth, and and if it's a situation where I don't think a priest would be available, or the deacon, or the chaplain, you know, I have um, on several occasions. Usually, I mean, t- t- obviously with the permission of the parents, I would ask them, and usually they name the child, and so it's very simple. And I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and you use water. It doesn't even have to be blessed. So you use the proper you know, form and, and, and matter and the intention of the church to baptize. And, and that's, um, so wow. you know, by the grace of God, I have been blessed to baptize many children and I'm not a deacon. And, right? that, and, but that's, that, and that's free too, by the way, there's no charge. On that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but you know, these are, yes. you know, very profound moments because it's just moments before that, that baby passes away. Right. Right. Um, I've, I've had similar situations and, yeah. and it, it is like what you called a, a, you know, a God moment or, you know, you just feel the, the profoundness of the situation. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I remember when I was in the army, one of these situations, I was at, uh, uh, Fort hood, um, in, uh, North Texas. And it was a situation where we knew the baby was not likely to survive. So they, um, you know, they asked me if I would baptize the baby. And then this is the only time this has happened where the baby soon died. Um, they actually asked me if I'd be the godfather of this wow. child. And so, um, and so I was, and I'll, I remember the baby, it was around 23 and a half or 24, right at the cusp of viability, um, and was transferred um, to a higher level medical center. It was a small community hospital, this particular army base. Um, but I did find out what the nurse told me before I went to saw the, saw the patient the next morning. The baby had died during the night, you know, just a few hours after delivery. But I'll, but I'll just share this. I was yeah. before I, I I couldn't even go in to see the patient right then. And maybe knowing that this was my godson that died, I just remember you know sitting or standing or sitting on a chair outside a room, just crying, weeping, you right. know, and, and grieving, you know, for the mm-hmm. family. And you know, my god child that i only met the day before but right so that was one of those god moments all right just a few minutes left on the show but we wouldn't i know that i I don't know because i don't know you before today but i bet you have an amazing marriage i know you got a lot of kids but tell us a little bit about you your spouse sure sure my wonderful wife lauren of 21 years as of this past february we've been blessed with eight children um wow (laughs) so yes uh, five boys and three girls our oldest son john paul who might be listening to this he's uh 20 years old and then our youngest luke is two so they range um from 20 to two and they're all between two and three years apart (laughs) dr johnny where do you think they got those names from well that's a good (laughs) (laughs) that's great i love that so where did you guys meet that's a good question. I remember you came to my office. You found me. I think he was referring yeah, to your I wife. Yeah, I wasn't talking about you. I was not talking about you. Well, well thanks. Come on. Uh, so my wife and I met um, at. Um, uh, now that's the, funny. The, yeah, yeah, the Coke, the Coke <laughs> Cathedral, St. Thomas More in Tallahassee, and actually it was in the Respect Life Committee doing pro-life work with uh, the Catholic Student Union there in Tallahassee, and that's how we became friends. And so our our friendship, the heart of our marriage, really started with our work together doing pro-life work. Uh, we're running out of time, and I got a lot more questions to ask you. But you felt like you had a conversion in your life along the way. I would say definitely um, 
college, you know, yeah. when I, and, and Dr. Voltz had mentioned last week about the Eucharist. And so, unfortunately, even though I was told by my second grade CCD teacher that the Eucharist truly is the, the body of Christ, the next 10 years, I never saw the Eucharist treated mm-hmm. like the body of Christ. And so, it wasn't until college that that was brought back to me and I was taught that as an adult. And wow. I had never been exposed to Eucharistic adoration until college. And this wonderful campus minister read, led by the Brotherhood of Hope um, when I was there had introduced me to that. I'd never even heard of an encyclical. And I was introduced to John Paul II and his writings that were profoundly formative to me during college. And so I can honestly say without the influence and the wisdom shared to me by these brothers and also John Paul II, you know, I wouldn't be the man I am today. Mm. I probably wouldn't have the profession I do today and certainly That's not powerful. have married the person I And this happened at Florida State. At Florida State. Believe <laughs> I it or can't not. believe it, Johnny. That's hard to believe. That's some tiger bait right there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and he went on to be a gator. I mean, this is freaking oh, me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, you've been such a blessing uh, to Acadiana and we welcome you with open arms and I know you guys, Acadiana OBGYN is it's the place to go uh, for all the Cajun Catholics out there uh, and I know we got a lot of uh, ladies out there and, and I hear nothing but great things and I got two daughters that are that are I'm, 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 I'm in I'm all in I got two daughters going well, on I want to say something about that yeah. that's been one of the unexpected blessings in a way I could not have imagined just the honor it is to take care of just the so many wonderful holy devout you know, um, women and their husbands and their families, they really inspire me and, and encourage me in my faith every day. Love so. that. All right. Well, you've been listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest was Dr. Cudahy uh, and Dr. Voltz, uh, co-host of the show, Acadiana OBGYN. Again, uh, we engage you to, uh, we challenge you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. In case you miss any of the podcasts, they're on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Look up Cajun Catholics and uh, thank y'all for being on the show and God bless you. You know you'll be in my prayers. Thank Thanks you. Again. All right.